and welcome to Talking Aussie Books, a weekly podcast bringing readers and writers of Australian fiction together. I'm Claudine Tanellis. As an avid reader and passionate advocate for Australian fiction, I make it my mission to spotlight local talent. So if you're looking for your next read or simply want to learn more about the Australian literary scene, this podcast is for you. Grab yourself a cuppa, sit back and relax. Listeners, my next guest is described as the undisputed queen of Australian women's fiction, an apt description for an author with a whopping 29 titles under her belt, an award-winning author with her own online book club and close to 5,000 members. Of course, listeners, I'm speaking of the one and only Rachel Johns, and I'm delighted to be chatting with Rachel once again on the eve of publication of her latest offering, The Workwives. Welcome back to the podcast, Rach. Oh, thank you, Claudine. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, you're so kind. I know we caught up at RWA in Fremantle in August, but when I was thinking about the last time we chatted on the podcast, I realised it was three years ago, almost to the day. Hard to believe, isn't it? I can't believe that that was the last time I actually was in New South Wales as well, I think. And for, for just one wish and thinking, you know, I'd be, I, I used to travel quite a lot over there. And yes, we all know why, but it's been a long time. Feels like yesterday to me that we were chatting about just one wish, but mm. that was for you, as I said, just before we started recording four books ago now. Now let's go through them. There was <laughs> something to talk about, which was your rural romance in April of 2020. Then there was Flying the Nest in November of 2020. Then How to Mend a Broken Heart in May of 2021, followed by Outback Secrets in October of 2021. And now The Workwise. My goodness, Rach, I'm exhausted just reading this list out. <laughs> yeah, well, when you put it like that, I just, it, it seems exhausting to me as well. I, I always think um, people ask me, you know, how, how have you written so many books? And I've got friends who have written way more, you know, in that time. So that's what I always think. But then I look back and I actually go, I don't know. Because uh, say, for instance, the last couple of weeks, I have not been writing because I've just handed in a draft of next year's book and I'm you know uh, I'm thinking about what I'm writing next there's no point for me starting before I go away on tour because then I have to stop again and you know so I'm having a bit of a break which is lovely but I sometimes then wonder how do I actually fit in writing around my day because you seem to be able to fill up the day with all these other things as well you know life admin work admin <laughs> seeing people you know reading and I'm like how do I normally fit in the time time's a weird thing as you said it feels like it's been five minutes since we've seen each other but it's actually been well has to be you know before the RWA hmm. but actually it's been quite a long time so your time is very odd and I think making the time to write is very odd kind of as well but if you do do it just sit down at the desk regularly then you know the words add up given all of that you know worrying about time to write you're still incredibly productive but I wondered if you worry that you'll ever run out of ideas or you worry that you won't be able to keep up this kind of momentum. Definitely. Well, I have slowed down a little bit. For most of my writing career, I've written two books a year. Mm. Uh, sometimes more, sometimes there's been a novella in there. And there's a couple of years where I wrote a few books with Mills and Boone as well. So I had to squeeze those in. And after the Mills and Boone books, particularly, I felt quite burnt out. So I decided to write one book a year for a couple of years because I just really felt I needed the break. I was just really struggling, as I said, with ideas and, and just sitting down to write. And then I felt a bit better again. I wrote a couple of books. It's funny, I find my writing life goes through, the whole of publishing is, is a roller coaster up and down, but even just specifically the emotions regarding my writing. Mm. And um, so then I, I took a step after I wrote, you know, two books in a year, I said something to talk about. 
powder made a broken heart again. Mm. But now, then the next two years, I, I've stepped back because I did have quite a bit of a time where I was feeling like, I think writer's block, there's two types of writer's block. I think there's story block where you're just stuck in a story and you've gone the wrong way. But then I think the other one, I've heard it just described as life mm. uh, or, or burnout. And I definitely had that. So I stepped back again for a couple of years, but now I'm feeling quite energised. Two books a year, like one book a year almost is not enough for me. That makes sense. I read a lot more, but I don't really know what else to do with myself. Rach, having just finished your latest offering, The Work Wives, uh, I'm in awe of you all over again. Uh, you've pulled off another wonderful novel. It's, as I said before we started recording, it's multifaceted and you're exploring so many contemporary issues in the context of an engaging and yet quite hopeful story, I think. So I wanted to say congratulations. And how are oh, you feeling you. about its impending publication? I'm feeling reasonably good. I mean, you never, you never can make everyone happy there's always going to be people that love it and people that hate it and I've already seen you know that in reviews and I think also when you write in two different genres even though my genres are quite closely related in terms of romance and then more contemporary general fiction you have some people who like one more than the other and uh, they go into the book with ex- ex- certain expectations and they're not necessarily met. But I'm excited because I think, as I mentioned before, I'd, I'd gone through before writing this book quite a, a period of feeling quite anxious about my writing, full of doubt, and I really realised that I, what I needed to do is just rediscover the joy in writing because I think when the pressure gets on to, you know, write multiple books, to pay the bills, it's easy to go, oh, I have to do this. And when you have to do something, often it becomes not so enjoyable. And if you're stressed, you know, you're stressed because you have to earn money, then then that adds a pressure. And so I really worked really hard before, prior to this book, between the last one of just, of taking a step back. I had a month of social media. I really worked on reading more, watching TV more. I started doing sewing again, making my life not so book related. That helped really helped me bring the joy back. And so this book, it really was a joy to write. I loved getting to know Quinn and Deb. I also think, as you said, I've written a fair few books and some of them have felt more manufactured than others. And what I mean by that is I've had a contract. I've got to, you asked if I had lots of ideas. And I wouldn't say I am a huge ideas person. I have things I would like to write about, but how to put them into a story is always where I kind of, you know, stress and, and worry. But this title came first and then the story kind of unraveled and I knew it was almost what I was going like I'm not a planner but I I could see a lot farther ahead in this book than I usually do and so it was really a, a joy to write like I would sit there sometimes which I haven't done for years and just just smile at the computer screen and think oh my gosh I love your book <laughs> of course I want people to enjoy it and you know I want it to sell but I'm happy because it gave me back my joy for writing. And so that that's almost enough, you know, if that makes sense. Absolutely makes sense. You know, I tip my hat to you because it can't be easy to find the joy in something that you have to do or that, you know, you're working to a deadline to. Sometimes I feel like that about reading. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I, I know, totally especially understand. when you have a podcast. I know what you mean. I know a lot of writers and podcasters and bloggers and, you know, feel that way because it's a joy. You, you obviously do it because you liked reading in the first place and same with me with writing you come to it because you love it no one sort of decides oh I'm going to write a book or I'm going to start a podcast I don't want to I hate this but you know like I'm going to do it but then you know it's like you get given it's almost homework isn't it you've got books you have to read 
which you may love to read if you didn't have to read them. Yeah. But then also you've got to sometimes work. And I find that with, you know, being given arcs and stuff, I'm so, it's such a joy. And I'm like, I'm so lucky that I get these books. But then I think, but I've got that pile of books that I've bought myself that I really want to read instead. <laughs> oh, and it's just, we just need more time. That's thing. Or I need to read faster. Faster, yeah. read faster would be good. Yeah. Yeah. I think time pressure is the issue here it's just when you have to do something within a certain time frame and you you know you're human you're balancing family with work mm-hmm. with you know wanting to catch up with friends and doing yes. fun stuff like attending rwa and all that yeah. stuff is very important because it does refill the well but yeah Absolutely. No, I totally understand. So talking about finding your joy with this book, was there a particular spark of inspiration? And I know you said the title came first, but Mm -hmm. what was it about that that caught your eye and that made you decide I wanted to craft a story around this? Yeah. So there's sort of two two answers to that. The first is the title, but I had then some other things that I'd already wanted to write about that I suddenly realised could fit in with Mm -hmm. the title. So the title came, I actually, it was because of a podcast. I did. I did a podcast for Brand New Magazine, uh, no, Brand You Magazine a few years ago, probably about, yeah, about two years ago. And the interviewer just mentioned that she was, it was Friday and she was looking forward to Friday night drinks with her work wives because she had another job kind of as well. And although I've heard the term work wives, you know, many times, I'd at that time been reading a book about, it's called The Bestseller Code. It's sort of a book about that analyzes all the best selling books in the world and shows, we you know, what they have in common. There's a section there about titles, and it's a fascinating book to read. And I remember being told, like, titles like, you know, The Family Secret, The Bad Sister, you know, three words, really things that tell you, it can tell you about what the book is. For instance, my cousin has a book out called The Summer Job and she had a different title to start with. The publishers chose that book, The Summer Job, because immediately you think, oh, I've had a summer job or I know what a summer job means. It's kind of, It has all these connotations that kind of come with it. So I was in that sort of headspace just thinking about titles. And so when Rowena said My Work Wives, I just suddenly thought, the work wives, I said the work wives would make a great title and I didn't even necessarily plan to do anything about it, but it just yeah. then refused to leave my head. And that's when a story idea sort of came to me of two women, at least, I wasn't sure at that stage, who worked in the same building, well, you know, really good friends, but really different. And they'd only become friends because of work. And then I sort of went from there as what kind of could happen. But the other thing that kind of, a few other things sparked my idea. And, you know, I think, I think writing is a lot like kind of doing a jigsaw puzzle. I've got lots of things, as I said before, that I would love to write about, but they're not quite, they haven't been, I haven't found the right thing to put them with yet. So they sit and you sort of mull around in my brain for up, you know, sometimes years and some will never get written probably. And one of the things that I, or two things that I really wanted to write about was I'd seen a lot of talk about addiction to dating apps and how, you know, the swiping left or right like tinder and hinge and bumble and all the other ones actually is akin to uh, the pokey machines and the sort of the buzz that you get and I saw that you know some people were you know reluctant to sort of settle for anyone because what if the next person like what if they settled for one guy and then the next person they swipe was actually better so it kind of and I thought that was a really fascinating thing to explore and the other thing I'd seen was an old article that was doing the rounds on the internet about how to find your husband 
in 129 ways, I think, to find a husband that was in an old McCall's magazine from the 1950s. And it was just hilarious, all the different things that were in there, like get a dog or paint outside an engineering school, wear a Band-Aid, you know. And I just thought, oh, that's really fun. I'd like to put that in a book. So, you know, that's, I guess, the Work Wives title came first. And then there was other things that I started, you know, I had had wanted to write. And I thought, oh, maybe that will fit with that. There's also a funny little thing in there. There's a little bit of budgie, a budgie angle in there, very small. (laughs) But last year I was at the Capricorn Coast Writers Festival and there was a local MP there and she came quickly and got um, a a few of us to sign books. And she's like, I'm really sorry I have to, I have to leave because I've got to get up, it was an evening thing, I've got to get up early tomorrow morning because I'm going to the award ceremony order of the local budgerigar society. And I was like, what, there's a budgerigar society? <laughs> um, and I had a budgie at the time, sadly he stopped. I was like, I love budgies and this just sounds like such a fun thing. So I was thinking I might have a book, whole book about a budgerigar society, but then it kind of fell into this one instead. <laughs> Uh, that was one of the most interesting aspects of this book. And I, I absolutely loved that as somebody who's had a fair few budgies in my life. They are very special birds. <laughs> they so are very special birds. We had a budgie for 11 years and he recently died. He's actually in the acknowledgements of, of this book because yeah. I said, you know, if you're still alive by the time the book comes out, it'd be a miracle. So, yeah, sadly he's not. But I do love budgies and I just thought it was a fun angle. And and in all my books, like as you said, there's you know, there's some serious issues and stuff, but I also like to really include some fun things and the budgies, I suppose, were yeah, a present to myself as well. Oh, absolutely loved it. Okay, so having said all of that in relation to what inspired you to write it, can you tell us a little bit more about the story? Sure. So The Workwives is about two, three women really, but two adult women who work at an energy drink company. I, I say that they're as different as Downton Abbey and Schitt's Creek. So we have Quinn, who is in her 20s, uh, late 20s, and as I said, addicted to dating apps. She's a really bright, bubbly personality. She works in digital media in the company. And then we have Deb, who is the complete opposite. She's in her early 40s. She only wears black, whereas Quinn wears, you know, bright colours. And she's quite a quiet person. She works in the accounts department. So, you know, you can see the differences. And she is a single mum of a 15-year-old daughter, And whereas Quinn is desperate to find the one uh, Deb has sworn off men. So it's a fun story, but there's also a little bit of a darker element in there. When one man turns up at the office, I won't give two spoilers, it kind of throws a spanner in the work of their their friendship. But I think the fun angle was that, yes, Deb sees, Deb sees Quinn addicted to dating apps and thinks that, you know, she's got a bit of a problem and, and Quinn realises this and then, you know, Quinn decides she's going to give them up, but only if maybe Deb gives a go of dating and Deb that's a very terrifying thing for Deb to do so they're both you know challenging each other to step out of their their comfort zones and then you have Ramona Deb's 15 year old daughter who's studying at a new school who, who's never really fit in before um, she loves vintage fashion and all things that are 1950s and stuff like that and she's desperate to you know find friends and find a place in the world she's very close to her mum but you know as we need in fiction there's and tension between them that comes about in this book too. So I think I managed to explain it hopefully without any spoilers and hopefully that gives enough of a taste. I want to talk a little bit more about the mother-daughter relationship between Deb and Ramona later. But interestingly, this book was set in Sydney. I mean, I love that it was set in Sydney. But given that you're uh, Perth-based, why here? And do you think this story could have worked just as well anywhere else? Yeah, I think it probably could. Uh, It's funny because... 
I don't necessarily, I just sort of, I just decide where it's going to be. Um, <laughs> but I don't think of it, like I've, I've written in all my women's fiction books, obviously all my real romances have been country towns, I think until this latest one, all um, in Western Australia and they've been fictional. Whereas all my women's fiction novels have been more, mostly more city-based and they have been in South Australia, in Perth, in Melbourne, just realised just wish just on Mrs Melbourne and in New Orleans and then Sydney now. It's a feeling. It's a bit like choosing character names or titles and stuff. It's like a gut feeling. And for me, I think this office, I haven't worked in an office myself for a long time. I did briefly when I was about 21. And, you know, I've worked in retail environments since then. I've worked in school since then. And then for the majority of the last 10 years, I've just worked by myself in an office in my own <laughs> office which is very different to the office in in the book and so I don't really know the office environment very well the only office that I've really had any experience with in that time is my publisher's office which is in Sydney in a in a very tall building you know on the edge of Hyde Park basically I just stole that office <laughs> it's not a publishing company in the book as the book it evolved so the, the synopsis that I sort of very I started with very loosely just or not uh, to say that you know, this is the type of book I want to write it was going to be more office space than I thought and in the first um, version before it was edited it was a lot longer <laughs> this is a pretty long book but it yeah. was like a hundred and I think my first draft was 165,000 words or something so you know and it needed to be cut and a lot of what was cut was actually office scenes and you know other things going on in the office because that was important when I first wrote the book, but then it became more about the relationships, you know, between mother, daughter, between friend and friend, friend and neighbour and different things like that. So the, the office, and that's why I know I've already seen a few reviews, people complaining that the title doesn't necessarily match the book, but I still think it, it does because that's how they became friends. So, yeah. yeah. Hope that answered your question. <laughs> oh, absolutely, it did. We've talked a little bit about this before, but, you know, I'll say it again. Uh, what I especially love about most fiction written by women at the moment, but yours in particular, Rach, is that you explore issues prevalent in women's lives and yet you do so in a way that's not preachy or judgmental. Uh, and some of these are weighty topics, as you've mentioned. So I wanted to ask, do you, when thinking about your writing, do you think about themes and issues that you'd like to deal with? I know we talked about, you know, ideas, but themes and issues that you'd like to deal with, or is it always about character first for you? Yeah, really good question. And thank you for your lovely words. I think it's more about character and then sort of because as I think of the character and what they might be going through, the issues kind of come. Mm. Like often often I will actually know I think Often I do think about it beforehand, but then often the issues that I think I'm going to explore are not the ones that end up being explored. And that's more probably in the last couple of years. I know when I first wrote my first few women's fiction books, someone said, oh, you, you're an issue-based writer, even in the, the rural romance. And I was like, am I? Like, I think of Jodie Picot being an issue-based writer, you know, and things like yeah. and, and, but then, you know, they said, well, you've written about this, this, and this. And I think, you know, it just, so it's organic. Like, I don't, I guess maybe it's a subconscious thing, things I'm fascinated about in or interested in, like addiction to dating apps. Obviously, I'm old married woman, so I've never experienced any of that. But I think it's, you know, very interesting the way the dating landscape has changed. I do often have themes of dark family, I suppose, in there. And especially in this book, I'm 
pretty close to the Ramona story of identity and not knowing who her father was because I had that for you know 17 years of my life it's not exactly the same as Ramona I knew who my dad was but I didn't ever meet him until then yeah I guess you explore things that are important to you but sometimes I also have like a list of things that I would love to explore that I haven't you know managed to or haven't found the right way I had an eating disorder in high school my mum and my cousin both had a different eating disorder and it's something that's really close to my heart but haven't you know I just haven't worked out how to do it there's a so a few other things that I'm really interested in that I've had in my head for a while. So I often think actually, I'm just realising talking to you, that the things I want to write about, but um, I can't just write about an issue. So I think I have to find, a character has to come to me first. And if then it's, a, it's almost organic or magic, I'm like, oh, hang on, they're the character that I need to do this issue for, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, it totally makes sense. I, I completely understand. But I'm always fascinated by the process. What comes first for different writers, you know? And sometimes, mm. it, as you say, a burning, it might be a burning desire to speak about a particular issue and, you know, finding the story that fits or is it yeah. the other way around? For me, it changes probably. Some are more character-based or I'm just thinking, I think the seed of an idea comes to me but then I, then that's the character has to come next and the character has to is stronger if that it's really kind of bizarre thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean I'm just thinking I'm looking at pictures on the wall I had a book flying the nest a few years ago which you know I wanted to I did want to explore nest parenting because I thought that was a really fascinating sort of thing that people did and the character came immediately after that and and because of nest parenting which is you know people feel separating they the kids stay in the same house and they take turns going there I immediately needed a couple that were separating so you know they came next but but then who they were shaped how the story took place if that makes yeah. sense so Deb and Quinn the two adult women characters in this book about as different as two women can be from each other and yet become the best of friends as you say Downton Abbey versus Schitt's Creek um, <laughs> were these characters inspired by real women yeah that's a really good question as well I don't think so no definitely not I love Graham Simpson's analogy that he uses is that the right word where he says you know characters are a third yourself a third people you know and a third your imagination so I think that's definitely probably the case with Quinn I do have a bit of an addiction to Instagram makers of like clothing and and earrings and things I had to have to had to mute a whole load recently because I'm you know I just they they make the most amazing gorgeous outfits and dresses and I'm like you know I can't I can't buy any more I don't need I don't need to wear any more clothes because I had never leave my office except for tour and you know how many earrings does a person need so I definitely Quinn is kind of inspired by the people I've been seeing on the internet the last few years that are just full of joy and color in their lives it's dopamine dressing and they love that and Deb is not been really inspired by anyone except saying that she I guess is more my age so I can relate to her in in some ways uh, she's also the name Deborah Fast was bought by one of my readers at an auction quite a few years ago for I think it was bushfires or so. so she's been very patient because I had to wait for the right character <laughs> I'm very much particular about names of characters so they have to kind of gel in my head and I thought Deb was the right name for this character and then one late another lady um was a reader who helped me when it was a lot more office-based she was a payroll manager so you know I take I took that her job from her but yeah not in terms of personality really so you know despite being best of friends Deb's keeping quite a major secret from Quinn isn't she yes she is I wasn't sure happy about it (laughs) no she's not happy when she finds out about it because you know I wasn't actually sure 
that she would be keeping the secret or whether initially whether Quinn knew the secret. So I had, you know, it changed my mind quite a few times as I was writing about what Quinn knew and how much she knew. I think how much she knows is right in the end of the story. And yes, yeah, she's angry because, well, she's angry at first. I don't think she, sh- this is a bit cryptic for people who haven't read the book. I don't think she would be angry if other circumstances weren't surrounding it. I think she would be more understanding because she is a, a caring, understanding person. And I think she knows, you know, that we all keep secrets in our lives for the right reasons. You know, I think most people, when they've got a secret, they're, it's not, they're not doing it to hurt anyone or they're usually doing it to protect themselves or to protect loved ones if you're holding something back. And I think Quinn would understand that if it wasn't that the secret affects her life and she's angry about that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, as the mother of a teenage daughter, I really felt for Deb on so many levels. She had sacrificed so much to raise her daughter in the best way that she knew how. And Ramona was intent on pushing boundaries and didn't always treat Deb respectfully. Now, knowing that you have three sons, did you find writing about this mother-daughter dynamic difficult or different or how did you get inside this headspace? Not really. I mean, I was the daughter of a single mum. So I've been in Ramona's space, definitely. But the relationship between a single mum and a daughter is a very unique kind of relationship, especially, you know, because you've got nobody else for a lot of the time and the line between friendship and parenting can even be more blurred I think because of my own experiences I think it was kind of you know not a hard thing to write and also I have plenty of friends who have uh, teenage daughters around the same age so yeah uh, I think the hardest thing about writing a teenage character or teenage point of view is the language and I'm guessing that boys and girl language is quite is, is different again so you know there was things I had to cut out because the editor's like well would, it, would this really be a teenage girls speak and then you know you don't want to put in two current words in case the dates that dates them so yeah I think that's the hardest thing writing a teenage character uh, is make but then at the same time I'm not writing a YA novel so I figure I'm writing for mostly you know women in their you know probably 30s onwards you know that's probably my major demographic and so they're not necessarily going to know all the, you know, it's the emotions and stuff that we can relate to because we've all been teenage, teenagers before. <laughs> you know, we all understand the fear of not fitting in, the things about first love and things like that. So so although it's something that's a concern for me, it's not a huge one because whereas if I think if I was writing YA, it would be a much bigger concern. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Now, speaking of fitting in, I reflect that you know Ramona's behavior is largely influenced by the fact that she was bullied in the previous school she attended and that now she's at a new school and so her behavior I think is largely reflecting her Mm. desire to fit in was this something that you particularly wanted to deal with in this novel I'm trying to recall exactly how that so no actually from the beginning so I am quite an organic writer I don't have a necessarily a good idea of of plot before I start I do generally have quite a good idea of character like I've thought a lot about that but sometimes I have to start without having a very good idea of what the characters are going to be like or what their issues are going to be and for this story definitely Ramona was the one I struggled with sort of in the beginning obviously there's an overarching plot between the three of them but they each then had to have their own things going on I would say that Deb is the main character in this book because everything sort of revolves around her and it's interesting 
interesting because it's a book by Lisa Cron called Story Genius. And a few years ago, I was reading that book and discussing with Lisa Ireland. We disagreed that there's a, there's a point in there that every book, even multiple point of view books, have only one main character and we were like nope that's not true and I I still agree that that's not always the case I think in a few of my books the the multiple point of view characters have been equally as important but then there's other ones where I can pick out who who sort of the story is and I think this one that is Deb so I was very much I knew kind of what Deb's issues were not actually what had happened to her in the past exactly. I was hoping as I wrote that I would that would reveal itself to me, but I knew that there had to be something quite awful that had happened to her to make her the way she was. I kind of knew a bit more about Quinn, but Ramona, I had very little idea of what sort of her goal of the story would be and what her issues were. So they kind of changed a lot as I went along. That issue came along the way. I did not ever set out to write kind of about that I guess what I'm trying to get at is bullying you know the fact that you know yeah. you know she she really she was a victim of bullying and yeah almost in a way did a bit of a 360 yeah on that. that issue came along the way I did not ever set out to write kind of about that I actually had other issues for Ramona that maybe she would be um dealing with her own sexuality and wondering you know where she's sort of fit but that just didn't work out because I fell in love with Elijah who's the budgie person and I wanted to give them a lovely romance that's why I really take direction from the characters and you know I did in initially in the first version try to sort of force a different story on, on Ramona but then this story was the one that sort of came out and I guess yeah needed to be told maybe <laughs> yeah indeed and I absolutely loved Elijah as well I thought he was just gorgeous yeah I had to I had to give them a happy (laughs) happy for now because they're only young (laughs) happy for now indeed I love that you were talking earlier about the fact that this was Deb's story or mainly it was Deb's story and I think you know it's fair to say that apart from Quinn being in her life she led quite a a lonely kind of lifestyle just bringing up her daughter and going to work and coming back and not doing anything really not socializing apart from with Quinn but as the story goes on she builds a bit of a community around her and community is such an important element of this story isn't it Mm. yes definitely she does I think she's been fearful to make connections because of the connections that she's had in the past that will let her down and she's so protective of Ramona that you know doesn't want to really let her out of her sight um, <laughs> to start with. So it's hard to have, you know, adult friendships and relationships when you, you've all constantly got your child around. She learns as Ramona kind of breaks off. It's, you know, it, I think it's both Ramona and Quinn that are, are challenging her to step outside her comfort zone because she learns that when Ramona, you know, Ramona loves her, Ramona doesn't want their relationship to change in a lot of ways, but she's 15 going on 16 and she wants her own life as well. She's craving friends. She's craving independence. And so I think, you know, Deb is forced to decide to, you know, just stay the same as she is and and be lonely because her daughter's going to go and have a life or to do some things that are uncomfortable for her. And I think there's probably a lot of us that, you know, parents are in that sort of situation when you, as your kids get older, whether you're coupled or alone, you know, you have to readjust and decide what else you can do for yourself. And I do think, yeah, community is really important. And one, you know, you talk it takes a village to raise a child. And I think that's the one thing that's been missing or one of the things that's been missing in, in Devin Ramona's life. She hasn't had a support system. And it's hard to get used to that support system. But also when you realise, you know, when you do start accepting from them, life, life is better off. 
because of it. Now, talking about a village, you've often said, oh, I think you actually said in the back of this book that it takes a village to write, yep. <laughs> to help a writer write a book, I guess, if you want to put it that way. And you yeah. have, I think one of the amazing things about you, Rach, is that you've got an incredible network of people around you, a network of writers. So I wanted to ask you, how important to you is this network? How important to your writing is this network? Everything. I mean, I think it really, it's, it writing, they used to say writing was a solitary thing. I think some people you know, still do because as I said, we're stuck in our own little place that we write our own head a lot of the time with imaginary people. So, you know, it can be <laughs> dangerous to your mental health, I think, if you just stay there. But I think that's not really the case anymore. It definitely isn't for me. My network is really important because I feel like I'm not alone in this in this career, which was, you know, once possibly very solitary. I met all of my pretty much all of my writing friends through the Romance Writers of Australia in the early days before I was published. And so a lot of my friends have gone through the same sort of things at the same time as me. And you know, we all understand that the industry is is wonderful when it's wonderful and it can be really disheartening when it's, you know, not you can have highs and lows so close to each other. It definitely is like a roller coaster. And you know, I've been really lucky. I have to admit, most of, I've had a few a few setbacks. I think without the people around you that understand that, I mean, you've got you can have a supportive family, and that's really lovely. But nobody kind of understands the industry unless they're in it. So I think it really just helps you through the good times and the bad times. Rach, the last time we chatted, I asked you if you had any tips for for people who are you know aspiring to be authors, people like me. But maybe this time I wondered if you would share something that you didn't know about yourself before you were published. Tough question. <laughs> I didn't know about myself. I probably didn't know how, oh, no, that's a lie. I was also I probably didn't know how stubborn I was and how <laughs> persistent because it took me 15 years to get published. But I, I do know that I was stubborn because I pursued a boy for five and a half years or something in high school. So, you know, that was that's pretty stubborn and persistent. What have I learned about myself? I think I have learned that I can do more than I think I can, if that makes sense. I really do struggle with doubt and, as I said, imposter syndrome. And it's taken me a while. I would say until like last year, I didn't really feel like a real writer, even though I had lots of books published. And I think what made me feel like a real writer is actually going through a really dark spot in my writing and a low point and being able to come get through that and write another book and write and I've realized you know you can do this if you really put your effort into it and your heart and soul into it so I don't know if that answers your question (laughs) absolutely I've learned I'm more resilient I think than than I would have thought thank you for sharing that Rach you've coined your style of writing or particularly in relation to your contemporary fiction titles life lit Mm -hmm. and I wondered if you could offer any insight as to why you think this genre is so popular with Australian readers at the moment? Yeah, good question. I think because we can relate to it, I suppose. You know, if you're saying life lit, I mean, I I came about that as because I wasn't sure about the women's fiction term. They always think historical fiction, you can understand what these, crime fiction, you can understand what that is. And I guess all of those different things have their own appeal. But I think this genre in particular of contemporary sort of uh, fiction about you know everyday people experiencing issues that we all can relate to is because it's you know you can understand the universal emotions and you feel connected you feel like these people are people you know mm-hmm. and I, I guess reader emails and feedback that I get from people is that 
they felt seen you know often in like they've been they've experienced whether it's a divorce or you know infertility or sadness and grief they're huge emotions but universal ones I think people like experiencing or reading things about that other people have gone through the same sort of thing as they are going through at the same time or they know someone who has it really feels and it's a comfort read I think in a lot of a lot of the way because most of these books do do end on a hopeful kind of note even if they're books that you know weepy books as we call sometimes throughout or they experience they um, explore dark issues they usually end this what I love about them they end in a hopeful happy way like and you feel you know it's it's a joy to read books like this I think I mean I like reading crime kind of books as well but I think especially in current times where the world is such you know uh, a scary place sometimes and can be quite depressing I think it's a whole term I don't mind the term beach read you know a lot of people think oh beach read is or airport read or whatever but to me that's just a read that you know takes you away from your everyday life and gives you a few moments you know a few hours of you know joy and excitement and reprieve so I think that's why I think people just need a bit of happiness and escape in their life and it's not hard to read these books because they're everyday you know they you're, you're everyday people and you can relate I always find this a little bit awkward to ask particularly when you you know this book is just it's not Ooh, quite even out in the world this yet person? now I'm curious <laughs> not that uh, revolutionary I guess but I, I <laughs> what's next for you I've just submitted my next book which will come out at the end of next year the working title was the reinvention of Adeline Walsh and it is a link to my books, Talk of the Town and Something to Talk About, Something to Talk About you mentioned earlier that came out. It's a standalone novel. I wrote about a character that was not a very nice character in Talk of the Town and Something to Talk About. I never intended to write about her. I really need to learn from my past self because I've done this before. Uh, in my first book, I wrote a nasty nurse in, and then people wanted a second book in the series and she was really the only character. So then I had to redeem her and work, you know. And I think I managed to do that okay in, in The Road to Hope, which was the sex of that book. But I never thought I'd have to do it again. But then people liked, you know, some Adeline is a character that people love to hate, I think, in the in the other two books. And so my publisher was very keen to have her story and know why she's so awful. Um, and I didn't know why she was so awful. And I couldn't do the same, you know, the same thing that I've done with the previous character. So it took me a while kind of to get around what, you know, what was going on in her life. And, and then one day I was just sort of thinking, well, I've read books like Thornbirds, you know, with a priest as the main character as a love interest. But I don't know if I've read a romance with a nun as the main character. And so I decided that Adeline was going to join a convent and become a nun and that her hero would be a atheist and absolute hate hate religion for reasons of his own so I had a lot of fun writing that book I'm really about the fun again I've really tried to I want to write a book that I can enjoy going to the page you know every day and so that book yeah that's what I've just finished fantastic oh gosh it sounds amazing and I want to say I can't wait to read it but I'm gonna to have to wait a whole year for it I have now. to wait a year but it'll go quick we know how fast time goes <laughs> <laughs> oh, so true Rach, I find it hard to believe that anyone listening to this podcast would not know who you are or where to find you. But in case there were listeners out there who've just I'm discovered sure you, 
uh, where can they find you? So I'm online um, at www.rachelljohns. It's a Rachel with an A, johns.com. I'm also on TikTok recently. Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> I'm on Instagram and Facebook. I've also got an online book club, as you mentioned, the Rachel Johns Online Book Club, which I run with a really good friend of mine, Anthea Hodgson. So that's a great book community. If you want to discover other book lovers, we do a different book each month. And no pressure. It's not like homework. You have to do it. <laughs> Oh, that's lovely. Thank you so much for sharing that, Rachel. Look, I absolutely love The Work Wives, another triumphant novel. Thank you so much for joining me on Talking Aussie Books once again today. Thank you. Bye, everyone. That's a wrap, folks. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, please drop me a line via my webpage at claudinechanellis.com, via Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. Alternatively, consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts. Until next time, happy reading.